not exactly uh, Mr. Toolsy. And uh, for the most part, you'd kind of be right. Uh, but I'm a little more toolsy than some of you think I am. I have my own toolbox, thank you very much. And uh, a number of my tools were given to me by my grandpa. My grandfather, Wakefield, was uh, like fisherman, outdoorsman, toolsy kind of guy. And, uh, and so I've got some, some tools of his that I still use. I have a little pocket knife that I uh, keep every once in a while. It was my grandpa's. And uh, this wasn't my grandpa's, but, but it's indicative of the kind of thing that, that I can't do a whole lot with other than, you know, pound something into the ground or uh, pound a nail into wood. And, and I was thinking about this uh, because a couple uh, months ago, I was trying to unscrew something and uh, it was all stripped and I couldn't. So a screwdriver didn't work. And uh, so I so I went to my toolbox and I got those uh, uh, <laughs> pliers. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know what they're called. <laughs> and, and I couldn't I couldn't get it, and I started to sort of strip the outside of the, of the screw. And, uh, <clears throat> and so then I went and got a vice grip and, you know, ratcheted that thing up and it was gone. Took care of it. So what if, what if I got in my toolbox? What if I got in my toolbox and this was the only thing I had? Can't do a whole lot with a stripped screw to help get it out if you're going to just have a rubber mallet in your toolbox. Have you ever been in a situation or you've been given a job or a task, or you know that there's something that, that you're called to do that you need to do, and we're not just talking about a strip screw that you're trying to get out of wood, but something that is pretty important. A job you've been given, maybe you took on a new job or responsibility, and, and it's, a, it's a, an upgrade in terms of how much responsibility you have, and, and you realize when you get to that job, when you get to that new responsibility, that that you've been given all these expectations for carrying through on this great responsibility, and yet you, you realize when you get into it, you pretty much have nothing but a rubber mallet to work with. That can be super frustrating. I know we've all kind of experienced those kinds of things in life. Uh, I was thinking of a time in seminary when, uh, in graduate school when I received a syllabus and, uh, and I looked at the schedule for things I had to get completed, and I don't remember how many pages, but I, I divided the total number of pages that I had to read in the semester by the total number of days, and, and it came out to something like 100-something, 100 125 pages a day, and I thought, there is no way on earth that I am equipped to read all those pages every day, and I, I don't think I got but about half of them. But I, I felt in that moment, when I was handed that syllabus, I thought, are you I can't do this. Like, are you ser you're seriously expecting me to carry through on this responsibility to read 125 pages a day? I mean, I kind of felt like I had a rubber mallet trying to get a, a stripped screw out of wood. Like, I, I was really frustrated. Maybe you've been a student and you got the syllabus and you felt that way. Maybe you've been at a job and you felt that way. Maybe, maybe you're a new parent uh, and, and you get to that moment where it's the third, fourth, fifth time in a row uh, at night when the baby's crying and you can't do anything to take care of it and you feel incompetent to take care of the needs at the moment. <clears throat> that can be super frustrating, but it's something that we all experience in life. It's something that we've all experienced in our relationships, 
You get into a relationship and you get into a relationship and you realize what's expected of me (laughs) is far beyond A, what I had any idea would be expected of me, but B, far beyond my ability to carry through on. It's a tension we live with when the expectations for what's happening and our ability to carry through on those are at conflict. In this series called Fan the Flame, we've been reading through 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing his protege, Timothy, to say, listen, you are called your job as a follower of Christ. Your job is to fan the flame of the gospel in the life of someone else. Timothy is probably sitting here going, you want me to what? Now think, now think about what's being asked of Timothy there. Think of what's being asked of disciples who follow Christ. When, when Jesus is about to go into the heavens and the disciples are there with him and he says to them, what I've just done with you so that you follow me and you've given your life to me, the Savior, the Messiah, what I've just done for you, now go do for somebody else. Jesus, you want me to what? It's kind of the feeling of the expectations being something that that may be far beyond our ability to care out. You you might feel grossly incompetent to make that happen. Maybe in this series, uh, you've heard me uh, for many weeks now say, hey, listen, your job Your job as a follower of Christ who has salvation, who knows the gift of grace that you've been given, your calling is to replicate that in the life of another human being. (laughs) You may be sitting there thinking, I'm going to what? You may be sitting there feeling like, Scott, you've given me a rubber mallet and you've asked me to do something. I'm not sure how that works. Well, you're in good company because Timothy felt that way too. I feel that way. Truth be told, transparent moment. Uh, you, you may think of me as someone who stands up and boldly proclaims, here's what the gospel says, here's what your calling is, here's what you're supposed to do. And, and that's true, I, I, I do that. But there are multiple times per week where I'm in situations in ministry or in my life or in my family. And I think, seriously, Lord, I, like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I have the tools to make this happen. The amazing thing is that God gave us His heart with words on a page called the Scriptures. And as we give ourselves, as we lean into studying those words, they don't just sit there as words on a page. They become the life of Christ in us that the Holy Spirit can use. Now think about this. You can replicate this for somebody else because think about how this happened for you if you're a follower of Christ. Someone lived it and you saw their life and you thought, that's legit. That, that person lives what they say they believe. And, and the truth of that person's life that you saw in the Scriptures became implanted in you and grew to become a relationship with Christ where you know Him. Which is to say that the tool of the disciple maker, there are others, 
but the tool of the disciple maker that Paul wants to encourage Timothy to use is this tool. And it's an oft-neglected tool. It's an often-neglected tool in the toolbox of believers attempting to carry out what God called us to do. So we, we want to rectify that. We want to correct that. We want to walk out of these doors with a clear sense of how the Word of God is to be used by us so that you don't go through your ministry in life and service for Jesus feeling like you have nothing but a rubber, rubber mallet. This is the tool that is made for us to use. Let's go ahead and look at where we get that there in the third chapter, verses 14 through 17. Some of you may remember early on in Fan the Flame, we talked about how Paul was this sort of strong leader, but Timothy was kind of a timid guy. And so Paul is writing Timothy to say, hey, listen, everything you need, you've already been instructed in. At the very beginning of this book, he says, let me remind you of these people that you learned this faith from. And he picks up that theme right here. He says this, but as for you, he's Paul writing to Timothy here, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. He says at the beginning there, but as for, as for you, continue. I want to turn back at just a few verses there. In 3 verse 10, there's a similar phrase that begins that section there where it says, you, however, have followed my teaching. And he talks about how he's followed Paul's uh, example and model. And then he says the same kind of thing here at the beginning, but as for you, which is to say that in, in the context here, Uh, Timothy is being called to lead in a congregation, to lead among believers where there are false teachers. There are people who are trying to pick off the sheep, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing who are uh, sort of picking off believers there. And and so Timothy's being called here to 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 to, to go in there and to do what he knows he has to do. So, So Paul says, as for you, in contrast to them. In contrast to the false teachers, he says this, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. If you're a note taker, you may want to circle that word uh, continue there. Circle it, highlight it, uh, underline it. It's a special word. Uh, It's important in this passage because it's what we call an imperative. An imperative. An imperative is just a way to say uh, this is an authoritative command. It's sort of the main thrust for everything that follows in this passage. He's saying, keep doing this. Keep doing this. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Then he begins to describe that a little bit. Knowing from whom you learned it. We already talked about how Paul talks in the early chapters of 2 Timothy about how he learned it, about how, how Timothy learned it from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and from Paul. And so he says, knowing from whom you've learned it. And we know that he's not just talking about one person because that word whom there, if you're a note taker, whom is a plural, and so it means more than one. And so Paul's referring to all these people who have been a part of Timothy's life up to this point, who have instructed him, who have taught him the faith, who have lived this out for Timothy as a model. And so he says, continue in what you've learned from them, knowing from whom you learned it. And then it begins at this point to kind of focus on what we're talking about, especially today, which is the Scripture as the way that the disciple-maker ministers to others. One of the important parts of a disciple-maker's toolbox. He says, How from childhood, this is verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. 
Sacred writings there is a special kind of a, a word there uh, that, that often in Scripture means uh, the Old Testament. When Paul was writing this to Timothy, uh, they didn't have all the New Testament letters together uh, like we have them today. Um, they probably were in circulation some. There are places in Paul's writings where they talk about his own letters having been written to churches. And he says to the churches, I want you to read this. I want you to see this. And so some of those letters in scriptures of the New Testament were beginning to be formed. But this term here is usually used to describe just the Old Testament. But it's important for us to kind of point this out here. He's talking about how Paul has been acquainted with, he says, the sacred writings. And he's not just talking about the Old Testament here. He's also talking about the New Testament. And there's a cool reason why this is the case that I want you to see here. We're not just kind of making this up. Uh, look there where it says sacred writings in verse 15. And then keep reading to the end of 15. There are lots of other reasons. We're just going to point out a couple reasons why he's talking about both the Old and the New Testament here with sacred writings. He says the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The emphasis on how the writings, the scriptures that Paul is talking about, the emphasis on how those were used is for the purpose of becoming wise, of having knowledge of how to be saved. And, and listen, Christ Jesus, not explicitly named in the Old Testament, lots of scriptures prophetically talked about the Messiah who was to come, who was revealed to be Christ Jesus. But the words Christ Jesus not used to demonstrate that person who became known to us and to Paul and to Timothy as Christ Jesus. So he's saying that the sacred writings of the Old Testament were for the purpose of revealing Christ Jesus. I want to show you one other cool place. 1 Timothy 5.18. 1 Timothy 5.18. That shows us why we know that Paul is talking about the Old and the New Testaments here. The Old and the New Testaments here. In First uh, Timothy 5.18 he says this. We're not really concerned about the content, but the way he puts it together here. He says this, For the Scripture says, that word Scripture there is the same as the word writings in our passage in 2 Timothy 3. It's a technical way that the biblical writers talk about the Holy Scriptures. And so he uses that same exact phrase, that same exact term here in 1 Timothy 5.18. He says, For the Scripture says, and then he does something interesting, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, in other words, if an ox is doing its work, don't make sure it's not getting fed, feed it, don't muzzle it. And then that's from the Old Testament, it's from Deuteronomy 25.4. And then he says this, the scriptures say that in Deuteronomy, and they say this in Luke 10. Luke 10 says, the laborer deserves his wages. So in one, one scripture passage, we see Paul using that same word scriptures or writings to refer to Old and New Testament. There are people who would like to tell you, <clears throat> who would like to tell you that the New Testament that we have was, was put together by people and that God didn't have anything to do with it. There are people who want to tell you that, that really Jesus only said so much and you can't depend on all this other stuff. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> because what we have in our hands isn't just the words of men. It's not just human-centered wisdom. It's God in His Spirit working through people to write down the heart 
and the character and the nature of God. And that's important to know. That's important to point out because what we're going to talk about is the fact that this book is one of the most important parts of the disciple maker's arsenal in making disciples, which is to say this book has within it the power of the kingdom of God. It's called the seed. It's called the seed in one of Jesus' parables. It's called a seed because a seed, when you put it in the ground, a seed has within it the power to become something of life. That's what we have. That's what we hold here. The power of the Word of God to bring life to someone is what we have in it. God's given us the power of the kingdom to become alive in somebody's life because of his written word. So that's why, important, that's why it's important to, to continue to talk about how Scripture isn't just something that's the words of men, but it's something that's got the power of God in it, which is why he says this, verse 16. We're back in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He picks up on that Scripture word that we talked about before, and he says, not just the Old Testament, but all Scripture. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Some of your versions might say God breathed, God hyphen breathed. Uh, they do that because it's uh, one word. One word just means God breathed. God breathed. Meaning God's breath, spirit, his, his life is, is used through the words of these pages to bring life to people. The treasure of the Word of God that we have is something that many, many, many disciples before us died so you could have. These were men and women who cared about fanning the flame of the Gospel more than their very lives. So that you could in your hands hold the power of the Kingdom by speaking God-breathed words. That's why they work. That's why it says next, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Some of your versions probably say useful. It's useful. It's profitable. There's a return on the investment of the Word of God. And then he says four terms here, broken up into kind of two sections. First, it's talking about doctrine, and then it's talking about practice. And he does it in two pairs. The first two pairs, he says this in verse 16, it's profitable for teaching and reproof. For teaching and reproof. Now remember, this is all about Scripture. But Scripture does something doctrinally that it teaches us. It tells us who God is, what His character is, what His heart is like. So listen, if you, if, if you, if you think when you're talking with someone about your relationship with God, if you, if you get to this place where you think... I, I don't even know, like I don't know how to describe this to you. I don't don't know how to to tell you about the heart of God. Maybe you need some more teaching. It's in here. The doctrine of who God is and what His character and nature is, is in here. Infinite, holy, perfect, majestic, almighty God, His character and nature is told to us in these pages. Scripture is useful for us to learn about who God is. Just, I mean, just simple and profound truth. 
Please don't ever, please don't ever take for granted the Word of God. It is a window into the heart of God. And it's useful. It's profitable for that, for teaching, and also for reproof. That's sort of the other side of the coin here in doctrine. It can correct ways we are thinking incorrectly. Some of your versions probably say uh, for rebuke. We have some ideas in our imperfections. We have some ideas maybe as we're reading that don't exactly line up with who God is. And there may be wiser people around us who can say, hey, you need some reproof. You need some rebuke. Absolutely. Bring it on. You know why? Because Scripture is how I learned to be a disciple maker. It's profitable for that. For doctrine and then for practice that Scripture is helpful. Remember, this is all about Scripture. All Scripture is helpful. It's profitable for teaching reproof. And then he says for correction and for training in righteousness. Same kind of ideas as before, but in how we act and how we behave. Uh, most of you uh, are parents, have been parents. Uh, you all had parents. And when you're correcting, this is important to know about disciple making, when you're correcting your um, child, your words only land insofar as your behavior demonstrates what you're speaking. Think about that. And the reason Paul is putting these together here in this passage. You can know stuff. You can have that first part of it. You can have all the teaching correct and down pat. But if your life, as you're expressing things, as you're demonstrating things by how you talk, will put the lie to what you have been taught. So as a parent, <laughs> that's how it works. That's how it works for disciple-making. Like, listen, I, there are some people who I'd rather, I'd rather they just kind of be quiet because they say things and then, the, then their life demonstrates the lie. And then they wonder why their, their witness is not effective. I mean, they need some more correction and training in righteousness. Scripture is helpful for that. It's profitable for that. The Word of God in our hands can help us for that. And here's the reason why. Verse 17, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The good work is to fan the flame, is to participate with God in the gospel being replicated in the life of another. But he says this before that. He says, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. There's a cool word play here uh, with the words competent and equipped. The root word here is the same kind of thing. Competent is an adjective form of that root word. And equipped is a verbal form of that. So Paul is saying, you're, you're not just with the word of God. You're not just equipped. You're super equipped. He's not just saying, you're ready. You're fully ready. You don't just have with the Word of God, with the content of the Gospel, you don't just have like a little bit. You have enough, and you have enough to do what God's called you to do. Think about that. If you are at work, and you get into this job with great responsibility, and, and you get a few months into it and you think, they haven't even given me a manual or a training video. But if they did, 
you'd read it. If you had to memorize things so that you made sure that your widgets came out correctly so that you got your paycheck, you'd better be sure you'd read it and study it and memorize it. You'd better be sure. Widgets are infinitely less important than someone knowing Jesus because of you. Which is to say, some of us are walking around with this in our toolbox for our witness. When this is sitting right here, ready to equip you, ready to make you available, to be used of God in ways that will satisfy you forever. And in the meantime, until you enjoy forever relationship with God. So, so, so please, please do not let this 30 minutes be the only scripture you get this week. You cannot possibly look Jesus in the face and say, I love you and want to follow you wherever you take me. If at the same time, available on your shelf is his heart for you to be equipped. Here's part of the problem for us. we get into ministry, we get into service, we get into a certain kind of uh, involvement and a level of participation and we become frustrated (laughs) because we feel that tension of I'm expected to make disciples (laughs) and I've been doing this and I've been doing this and I've been doing this and I get no, there are no disciples because of my work. Why do you think Paul writes Timothy and says, continue, keep it up, keep going. God will use it. The problem is we get to that place of frustration, the end of ourselves, the end of our ability to to make things happen, and we start to manipulate, we start to manipulate the system and the structures. So So that if I can't make disciples by the power of God working in somebody else's spirit, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick up a rubber mallet, and I'm going to make sure that you know that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to look like me. You have to talk like me. You have to listen to the same kinds of music I do. That's what believers do, right? Like, like instead, of, instead of the Spirit of God demonstrating His ability through the power of the Word and through people who live that Word around these people who are being discipled, instead of the power of God and the Spirit making people alive into the image of Christ, we manipulate people around us so they look like us. Which is picking up a rubber mallet. In fact, sometimes we skip grace altogether when we're talking about the Gospel. Sometimes we skip the scriptures and we we, we talk about our relationship with God and who God is out of our human-centered sort of like years of experience wisdom. When all those years of experience and wisdom have bypassed the ability to see the heart of God in the scriptures. 
Sometimes we do things like we will skip. We'll skip the personal responsibility involved in reaching out to another person. Let me tell you what I mean. When we feel that tension and frustration of the fruit not being born, what we'll do is we'll stand from afar and we'll say, hey, you, you need to do this in order for you to know Jesus. Don't you know this? And Functionally, what's happening here is this. You're standing on the top of the hole. You're standing on the top of this hole and you're looking down and you're going, hey, you down there, this is what you need to do. Get out of there. (laughs) Meanwhile, the person down there is going, "Uh, I know I'm in the hole. Like, I I know I'm in the hole. I don't need you to stand up there and tell me I'm in the hole. I need you to get down here like Jesus and live with me and help me get out of this hole. Disciple-makers... We'll jump into holes. We'll engage in the Word of God as they leave this place so that they know the heart of God, so that they act out of the heart of God, so that Scripture is enough. The content of the Gospel is enough. Listen, if you went home this week and did nothing but memorize three or four Scriptures from somewhere in the New Testament and maybe the Old Testament too, that talk about how God has come to save us from sin and make us alive in Christ. Three, four scriptures. Romans 3, 23, 6, 23, 10, 9, and 10. 5, 8. Then you would be equipped, if you came here next week and knew three or four scriptures. Simple, easy things. You would be equipped to have enough, complete, equipped for God to use you for the sake of the gospel instead of having to depend on standing on the outside of that hole looking down. That's what he's called us to. That's what he's called you to if you follow Christ. He's called you to enter into the life of another and present to them the truth that is contained in this word. That's, That's all you need to do. You don't have to have every answer. You don't have to to know it all. No one does, and those who say they do are pretending. People don't come to faith in Christ because a pretender led them. They come because they see the life of God, Jesus Christ, in another person for real. And I guarantee you that person has been in the Word. Guarantee you. So don't neglect the Scriptures. Let's pray, friends.